Welcome to Investor Insights, the wealth management podcast where we address investor needs, help you enhance your financial situation, and explore all parts of a person's financial life. And now, the host of Investor Insights, Mike Williams. Hi there, Mike Williams of Genesis, and welcome back to Investor Insights. Uh, You know, we're just going to call this uh, episode today uh, more asking a question. Surprised? Question mark? So what we're going to talk about today is uh, kind of have you think about whether or not you're surprised that the world has not ended yet. Uh, Because apparently, for many, many years now, certainly since 2008, 2009, and before that, the tech bubble, and before that, the real estate crash of the early 90s, and before that, the recession of the 90s, and before that, the crash of October 1987, all those things, you know, the end of the world was supposed to quickly follow. But uh, the good news for you and me is that end-of-the-world predictions have been going on for the better part of a couple thousand years. Uh, The St. Martin of Tours uh, thought that we would end somewhere around 350 A.D. So we beat that by, I don't know, 1,800 years. Uh, Of course, we've all heard for hundreds of years that the Mayan calendar was going to end the world. Uh, The letter of Toledo was back in the year 1100. Uh, Pope Innocent III was pretty certain around 1300 the world was going to end. Christopher Columbus, Sandro Botticelli, Martin Luther even thought we were going to end. Nostradamus, John Napier, Isaac Newton, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodists, The Millerites, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Pentecostal prediction. Hey, Charles Manson joined the crowd. Hal Lindsey, Gene Dixon, Heaven's Gate. You remember that, the guys that killed themselves out on the West Coast because, of course, the world was ending. Pat Robertson even mentioned it a few times. And the True Way cult back in the year 2000. Harold Camping most recently has caught some news from e-bible fellowship and he's actually adjusted his end of the world date three times since the 1980s maybe fourth time is a charm i guess the good news though is that none of these predictions that the end of the world would arrive has actually turned out to be correct so imagine for a moment how costly it has been to react to yet another end of the world. After all, uh, let's think about this logically. If we know that the end of the world is coming, does it really matter whether the stock market's going to crash? I mean, seriously? Does it matter if your mutual fund is not going to do well if the world's ending? Um, So, I I know we're probably chuckling, but look... I have yet another indication for you that uh, the bouts of fear are widespread. And why do I keep pointing out this fear? Well, I point out the fear because history tells us that when you have a lot of fear, you generally have a lot of cheap stocks. So long-term investors find, and when I say long-term, I mean more than the next 90 days, 
I'm talking about the next 3, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, just like the last 3, 5, 10, 15, or 20 years, have been generally profitable over lengthy periods of time. But what history says is that long-term investors learn to act at points of widespread fear. Everybody knows the term black swan. Well, black swan was made famous by a writer of a book by the same name. And of course, a black swan is an event that is called an outlier event, such that that really odd, strange thing takes place that no one expected. Now, here's what I love about how black swans have now been described. The very nature that we now call almost everything a potential black swan, the very fact that we do that means they can't possibly be black swans, certainly not in the context of where the term came from and how it became famous. Because remember, a black swan is a completely unexpected event, right? So if we're all talking about all these things and they're black swans, well, they're really not, okay? Why do I bring all that up? Well, the thing about the black swan book is the writer also, believe it or not, started a hedge fund and his business is uh, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. I'm just going to make it very basic. He buys put options that are way, 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 way out of the normal picture. They're called outlier options. In other words, he'll buy a put option implying that the stock market will be cut in half. And he'll buy it for a penny. And if a day like... August 25th unfolds, where the market's down a thousand points, that penny option might become worth a dime. Well, guess what? That's 10 times your money. <laughs> the theory goes something like this. If I do that every quarter for years, then I'll spend a lot of pennies. And then someday, if the world really ends, and if we get a black swan, and those pennies will all come back to me and then some. Now, oddly enough, that's the same sales pitch as buying a lottery ticket. So think about that when you put any validity into that as a long-term planning vehicle. So why do I bring up the black swan? Well, as you might guess, Wall Street created a process to plan for black swans. And they even have a way to track them. They now track the buying of outlier options on the option exchange. And the good news for you and me is that this past week, the highest reading of all time took place in the pace of buying outlier options. What they call the black swan indicator is now at its highest level since it was created. So I want you to think about that for a second. More people today expect a black swan event. Remember, black swans are completely unexpected events. <laughs> More people expect one today than at any time in history. I probably don't need to tell long-term listeners how poor an investment planning vehicle that has been. 
but it is yet another chink in the armor of how many people are afraid. This nearly completes every possible category from which we could measure fear. So what's really happening? Well, look, I think most people are just fed up with all the garbage. I get the feeling that many are just turning off the news. They can't seem to find anything other than fear-mongering, so they're starting to ignore it. In time, this could be a good thing. The problem is, it has so terrified them that $8 trillion is sitting in bank accounts earning one basis point in interest. The political process here is entering a crazy period, as all presidential prepping elections do, especially when there's going to be a new administration, thank God. That crazy period is likely to get a little worse before it gets better. Before we burn off some of the campaigners, the campaigns will probably get pretty nasty. They won't really hit full stride for another couple months, likely as the new year turns. The good news, hopefully to come out of this, is that when it gets down to winning, the winner will very likely need to turn back many tides that have been set against business over the last seven years. If you want my opinion, and again, it's just an opinion, it's a complete miracle that anyone in our economy has built anything of significance against the massive number of headwinds created against that success by the current administration. That noted, it should change soon, which will be a very good thing. If so, I have a hunch that many will be surprised by how explosive the next phase of this secular bull market could become. Keep in mind, it's only two years old, not six. So what's next? As stated in your last uh, episode or two, earnings season is here. The busiest stuff is still ahead. So far, nothing terrible and important. Most are being construed as, hmm, that's not as bad as we thought. We kind of suggested that would be the effect. Just check J&J, Johnson & Johnson. They beat earnings, even though they had tremendous international headwinds. Our plan is simple. Investors, long-term investors, should probably look for two to three day setbacks to build in steps over the long term. We would add that we would pray for more red ink. I say that because I do have a new fear. My fear goes something like this. I've always said bull markets are tougher to invest in than bears because you keep wanting to get things cheaper, but you don't. I'm feeling that queasy feeling in my gut again, that feeling that says it sure would be nice to see a setback a little deeper than we've seen in the summer swoon to really wash pain into the system. That would be a near-term benefit and set the stage for another multi-year leg to this surprise bull market. But, don't you know there's always a but, we may not get that opportunity because of the trillions of dollars sitting in bank accounts that have missed almost this entire six-year period. Now, why do I say that that's the problem? Well, because eventually, eventually, those floodgates move, and that money starts moving. Not only that $8 trillion, but the trillions of dollars 
that are now sitting in the bond market, which will surely feel the pain when rates do start going up. And by the way, it's good news that rates go up. So what you've got is a flood of ammunition, a flood of fuel sitting in the wrong place. And my fear is we might get a few years like we did in the 90s where the markets go up 20 or 30 percent a year and five years from now they'll be expensive. And we'll forget all about how we could have bought it cheaper when everybody was terrified. One more thing. I think we need to stop worrying about inflation. We should be instead hoping for some while still keeping an eye out that we don't get deflation. By the way, you want inflation versus deflation. We've lived with inflation for many, many decades, longer than anyone listening has probably been alive. Until money starts flowing into our system and out of the now massive bank reserves, we will find it hard to create inflation at levels to be feared especially when commodities are falling out of the sky like, well, dead black swans. So as we chuckle our way to the finish, I close with two thoughts. Pray for a retest during earnings season and more fear. And then let's build for the long term as that unfolds. I sure hope it does. And one more thought, go Cubs! I say that because we're coming to you from Chicago and the Cubs just won the first series they have to do to get to the World Series. By the way, I'd add one more thing. If by chance the Cubs find a way to get to the World Series, I would expect a lack of productivity in all of Chicago for that period of time. And if it shows up in some Midwest ISM manufacturing index, don't buy it for a second and take advantage of the dip. Talk to you soon. Until we see you again on the next episode, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant.